Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Connor, Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here early on a uh, Friday morning. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Uh, well, to to intro you both, um, you both work at Launchpad Lab uh, in engineering leadership roles. And Brendan, you've been around a number of years, but I think Connor, you've been there quite a while now yourself. Um, you both are involved heavily in the interview process, and and I know have been interviewing a lot, um, and hiring a lot, or at least have a lot of open roles over the last six months or year or so. Um, so excited to to talk to you both and and learn from your experience. Um, is there anything I missed? Anything else you want to bring up specifically from your background that you want to share with folks? Um, I would just say you know we're also in like you know manager coaching roles as well. So I think that is kind of a natural synergy to. Um, sort of look what we see makes people successful at launch by kind of like post hiring and try to um, like evaluate that like earlier in like the interview process to make sure there's kind of a mutual fit. So I think that's been kind of helpful to see like both perspectives, um, you know, sort of like pre hiring and then kind of like post hiring the people that seem to like enjoy Launchpad and, um, you know, are successful and kind of grow. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I typically ask if people can share a little about what they do at the company, but that that seems pretty important. And it's something I think a lot of companies put on the back burner, right? It's like, okay, now we've got someone in the door, at least they're here, right? We'll worry about making other hires rather than like making sure it's actually a good fit and they're actually growing and happy, right? Other than like a 90-day check-in, right? Is there, do you have specific things you do to, to try to accomplish that? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like the... Um you know, interview process, I think we try to sort of evaluate or get a sense of the candidate from like a cultural perspective, you know, the, a day in the life of someone at Launchpad, um, you know, how, how are they kind of excel in that role? Um, you know, I think Launchpad being a, a consultancy and um, in general, us having like relatively small like project teams, you know, uh, technical team members are, you know, asked to be client facing and, you know, be good at communicating. Um, so we try to sort of emphasize that or, um, understand a little better uh, someone's like prior experience on that. Um, and just see, you know, some people are more comfortable with that than others. It's not necessarily um, wrong that someone has uh, uh, less experience with that or less interest in that. It's just like, you know, trying to evaluate what we've seen be successful um, on like project work. And then I think, you know, in terms of the sort of technical challenge and, you know, maybe we'll get to this a little bit later. Um, you know, we try to structure it a little bit like a consulting engagement, like a very sort of uh, scaled down because obviously it's, you know, there's not enough time sort of thing. But I think we try to sort of mimic a little bit of that ambiguity developers will tend to have to deal with. Um, you know, it's not necessarily like hard and fast technical requirements, it's more like sort of product uh, requirements driven. Um, so I think that kind of helps if someone sort of excels and enjoys that type of challenge, they'll probably enjoy like the the project-based work we do yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense could you both share a little bit about your pathway into technology like what your first uh, kind of tech job was and how you got into that maybe connor you could kick us off uh yeah sure i started out building um websites in uh like middle school and high school uh using like dreamweaver at the time you know like drag and drop really simple 
Um, and um, when I went to university, I decided to to go with mechanical engineering and, and sort of step away from uh, the coding a bit. And uh, as I progressed through that, I realized that the like only assignments that I really enjoyed were the ones that involved programming. Um, so sort of thinking about that and uh, ended up getting a, a job uh, as a tech consultant and uh, working uh, primarily with a, like an insurance uh, platform called Guidewire, which uh, allowed me to do a little bit of coding, a little bit of configuration, um, and also just like uh, working with and managing other developers. And, um, you know, that really kickstarted me um, or, you know, influenced me to think about what it would look to fully transition into a developer role. And, and so I ended up going to a, a boot camp in Chicago um, and uh, and then got a job at Launchpad. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard that similar story, right? Especially it's like STEM, STEM adjacent, right? Like type of um, career paths where you do a little bit, you like the one or two like uh, coding class. And you go, oh, maybe I actually want to do this instead. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Yeah, That's but great. it's like the fourth year of yeah. uh, of college and you can't afford to stay any longer. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Brendan, how about yourself? Um, yeah, I kind of share some similar elements to, to what Connor mentioned. Um, I mean, I did an engineering uh, degree as well. I did electrical um, in college, but kind of always interested in in um, coding in high school. Like I took a C++ random class, um, knowing that that would probably be relevant to engineering. But it, it is interesting. Um, maybe this is a departure from what Connor was saying. Like for the CS, like computer science courses I took, like I really didn't like them in college. Uh, I like struggled with it. Um, Maybe that's why I didn't like it. Uh, so I kind of, I don't know, like felt like that was kind of what, you know, software development was. Um, senior year, we had like a, a, a like capstone project and I built a little website for it at Dreamweaver. Uh, so I was like, oh, well, that was kind of fun, more of a visual element to, um, to coding that wasn't really present in like the CS classes. Um, then did kind of a, a manufacturing engineering role for a couple of years and then you know, got interested in some of the boot camps. Um, and that's kind of what, um, like catapulted me more into tech, um, and, you know, learning to, to code. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, uh, career path, like actually, um, like co-founded Launchpad coming out of that boot camp. So the only tech job I've had is, uh, at this company. Um, but yeah, I think the, uh, like web development world of like software engineering, um, that's like the right, like blend for me of, um, you know, hardcore, like technical engineering problems, but also kind of the visual user experience kind of product layer that I think maybe in those CS courses, looking back on it, like that was kind of missing. Um, so I, I think for me and kind of the way my brain works, like that part really is like exciting to see all the technical works that sort of roll up to this like visual output that you kind of can see a, a user connect with. Um, I think that's what kind of really like, um, uh, you know, sort of like inspirational to me. Yeah, you know, it, it felt like five to ten-ish years ago, there was kind of a gap in computer science programs where what you're describing was happening, right? A lot of people like, great, I get this computer science fundamentals, but I don't actually know how to code, right? Like, I'm not actually building projects other than maybe one senior level course where they say, great, build something, right? And everything else was like, I'm just learning um, data structures and algorithms, right? Versus I think boot camps came around to try to solve the problems. You might not have any of that other stuff. Right. But you're going to have these, um, you're going to have a project at the end. You're going to actually know how to 
write CRUD apps, right? It's kind of an interesting shift. And I think um, computer science programs have adjusted a lot to actually try to implement more of that. Um, well, I guess it depends on the program, but it's definitely been a shift. I'm really curious about um, the the decision to to kind of build Launchpad right out of that bootcamp because it's definitely a, I, if I was coming out of the bootcamp, I don't think I would have been confident enough in my abilities um, to be like, yeah, let's go for this. Uh, so I'm curious if you could share a little about that, Brendan. Yeah, it's one of those things like, you know, I don't think we we stood there kind of at the end of the boot camp like, oh, I'll be building, you know, Launchpad 10 years from now or something like that like we are now. Um, uh, but I think it just, you know, starts kind of small in the sense of like the, the boot camp um, uh, I was in was, you know, learning, um, you know, Ruby on Rails. But at the end of it, you know, there's kind of this demo that you're going to build something um, and, and showcase it. Uh, and that's um, that project I work on is actually where I met uh, one of the other co-founders uh, of Launchpad. And then my mentor um, at the bootcamp I was at was the, the third co-founder at Launchpad. Um, so it started kind of small in the sense of like, hey, we like building stuff together. You know, we're kind of in this, um, you know, budding sort of tech industry in Chicago in terms of like a startup scene, people need stuff built. Um, we'd love to keep learning and like maybe kind of make some like more or less like freelance income, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, while also being able to kind of like hack on our side projects and um, that we worked on during the boot camp, So it started kind of just like, um, you know, wanting to like just keep going coding and like client projects sort of gave us a great outlet for that where it's like, hey, this is kind of stepping up in terms of like professionalism and like you're getting paid for this, um, uh, paid for this work. And then I think it just, you know, as we kept doing more and more projects, like, oh, this like diversity of projects is really interesting. Um, and then you're like, oh, well, now we're getting more projects than we can handle. Three of us we need to expand the team. Um, so I think it was kind of just like that, you know, six to 12 month period after the boot camp. It was like, is this, you know, truly the right fit? Because the boot camp, you know, three months, you know, we're making a career shift. You know, you never know if it's like, oh, well, it was fun for a couple of months, but now I realize it's, uh, it's difficult. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's always like a grand vision in the sense of like, this is what it'll look like 10 years from now. I think it was more of just like, this is enjoyable. Let's keep going, um, uh, from there. And then, you know, kind of once you build that momentum with other team members, I think then you kind of start to establish more of that like mission and vision and the things that kind of define Launchpad as it is now. But I don't know if early on it was like that clear in our minds. Sure. So a little more organic. I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe that makes it less daunting than saying we're going to do this. You know, we're all on board for the next 10 years. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the mindset, I mean, not that this is uh, about necessarily like uh, founding companies per se, but I think it's just um, like the best way to kind of learn or um, make progress is like, just try the next thing and hmm. make the next thing be kind of a smallish commitment. Um, and just kind of iterate and be agile about it in the sense of like how you um, establish like in the eyes of a company, like what you want to be. Um, it doesn't have to be like, I, I have all that clarity. I mean, sometimes people get interviewed, right? When the company's been around for five, 10 years and it seems like, oh yeah, well, they knew all this day one. It's like, eh, probably not. <laughs> yeah. They iteratively got there. Um, but you have to kind of like take those steps, right? Versus like, if you get too much into like overthinking it, if that makes sense. And like, oh, why? I don't want to pick a direction. It's like, well, pick one. It can't be that wrong. And if you don't like it, you can go the other one. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, Home Chef, where I work now, is actually, I believe, started out of a, a boot camp as well. Patrick, our founder, uh, went to a, a coding boot camp and then basically had the idea and then kind of kept building on it and, you know, grew and grew and grew, which I'm sure he wasn't thinking, let's <laughs> build this this big company as well. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, cool. And have y'all y'all been actively interviewing at Launchpad recently here for, for new hires? Yeah, yeah, we've been pretty active on the, the hiring front. Um, you know, across a, a couple different different roles. Uh, typically specialize in like Rails and, and React development. So those are kind of the the two most common skill sets. We also do a decent amount of like Salesforce development. So we've kind of um, sort of adapted our hiring process and the technical you know interviews in particular to sort of try to meet the candidate where their where their skill sets are. Could you share a little bit about the the part of the interview process you typically handle? Maybe Connor, you could go go first. I know sometimes people are like, oh, I only do the the intro call, but other people do the technical and what that looks like. Yeah, um, it depends on the role. Um, so there are roles or, or positions that I've played more of like the hiring manager role for um, doing um, not necessarily the initial screening, but maybe the, the first uh, call um, and then, you know, supporting them throughout the process there. Um, I've also done quite a bit of technical interviewing, um, and that, that happens during our sort of final stage that we have. Um, and then I do a bit of cross-functional interviewing and that's more like behavioral style interviews for mostly for like other departments. So I'll jump on to a, an interview for a product manager or maybe a designer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say that pretty much every stage, except maybe the very initial resume screening, um, I'm you know, fairly familiar with. Yes. And how about yourself, Brandon? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, I've played a couple different roles, you know, the same way like Connor described. I would say most commonly I'm on the technical, technical uh, interviews. Um, but, you know, one thing we try to do, I think, is, um, you know, get more, um, particularly in the technical interview, more uh, uh, current Launchpad team members involved in that process. So mm. within the technical interview, usually there's like kind of a lead on the Launchpad side that's like, you know, handling intros and kind of maybe guiding the candidate through the, the technical challenge while another developer is kind of there to ask questions and sort of shadow. But ultimately, like, we kind of want that person that's shadowing to eventually like take the lead. So, um you know, I probably have been trending to like be on less technical interviews to kind of like give that opportunity to more team members. But when I do um, tend to participate, it's usually in that technical portion. Yeah, great. Can you all share a little bit about what you're typically evaluating for in those interviews? Obviously, technical skills are are important, right? Um, Connor, you mentioned it kind of depends on the interview uh, or the type of role on where, where you are in the process. But can you share a little bit about what you're looking for or what you're trying to get out of those interviews? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak to the the technical interview first. Um, we, as Brendan mentioned earlier, we try and make the prompt uh, realistic. And so, like, really what we're trying to, to get an understanding of is what would it be like to work with this person? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's not like a, um, it's not totally like a pair programming exercise where, um, you know, it's still mostly meant to be driven by the the candidate um but yeah like we want to hear their thought process um and especially when it comes to like product decisions um you know i think brenda mentioned this earlier too like we work on pretty small teams and uh, those teams are you know 
whatever your role is, you're, you're involved in the products from um, pretty much the beginning and, and expected to, to come to the table with an opinion. Um, and so it's, it's not just about the, the code that they write or the way they structure it. It's the, what, um, how they choose to display it or um, other decisions that they make that are more like user focused um, or, or product focused. And um, so ultimately, we're looking for for someone that you know has the, the ability to you know communicate their thoughts and and think about more than just the the code that they're writing. Um, and from a behavioral standpoint, or um, we have a, a set of constants or values that we've defined, um, and we pretty much use those as sort of our uh, you know like evaluation criteria for if they'd be um, you know a good fit. Um, good person to work with. Interesting. I love that idea of being like having a product focus, especially in a consulting role. Cause I've been in both types of roles in the past where like I was, you know, in charge of all the product decisions. Um, we didn't really have a product manager at all. And then my, my role now we have a really great product manager, but I definitely do less of that. Right. Because a lot of this is kind of prescribed for us and we have such a defined brand internally. Um, and there's definitely pluses and minuses to being in both those spots, but I could see it's, um, important if that's a big part of the role to actually get that out up front right and to, to figure out does someone like this or not because some people may hate that right and like, i don't want to do that at all i just want them to tell me exactly what to build i'll build it and then i'll not worry about it anymore right versus like i love this and if someone told me everything i had to do i'd be bored out of my mind right that's really interesting exactly yeah and you know we we definitely have product managers today um but you know five six years ago it's you know when launchpad was founded um, they, there weren't product managers, like the developers were playing that role. Um, so a little bit of it, of it is influenced by just the historical nature of, of Launchpad. Um, but you know, even though we do have product managers now, because we have realized that, you know, it's just, it's just too much for, you know, one person to, to take on. Um, I, I think we found that that was having developers that have that sort of mindset and have that like entrepreneurial attitude um, was sort of one of the unique aspects of, of Launchpad and what made them successful. And so we want to make sure that we don't lose that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think there's always levels to that, right? Some people are like, I, I find making some amount of decisions, right? As long as I'm not making all of it, right? And and other people are like, I don't want to make any. Right? <laughs> so you got to have at least a little of that, I think, to be successful at a, probably really any consulting role. I, I think there's maybe some really large consulting companies where they, you're just building one tiny piece of something and maybe it's all described for you. But um, I think a lot of roles, you're making more of those decisions or at least talking with customers, helping them decide what what direction they should go, right? I think that's often a big part of it too, where they don't even necessarily know. So you're coming in with, at least I have an opinion and then we can try to work towards something um, that we both agree on from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing um, you mentioned earlier, what we look for in the technical interview, and I think it's um, uh, not like a disqualifier or something like that, but I, I'm always encouraged when candidates sort of speak through trade-offs that they're making. I mean, it's a time box challenge. They're probably not going to write the greatest code ever. But they're like, hey, I'm going to write it this way. Usually I would kind of refactor it in this way if I had more time. Like, I think that's always really helpful perspective. And that's in kind of a technical lens. But I think ultimately they're being able to articulate trade-offs. And I think that kind of goes to what you just mentioned, Taylor. Like with a client, it's not so much like that the developer needs to make the decision, but sometimes they need to sort of present options and trade-offs and help the like client or 
like the the product management team at Launchpad like sort of narrow in on an option because uh, sometimes it might not be clear what the trade-offs are um, kind of from like an engineering layer perspective. Um, uh, so I think that that's, again, not necessarily something that's like a disqualifier. Someone like doesn't articulate that, but it is encouraging when they do tend to do that because it usually translates pretty well on a client project. They can say, okay, well, you know, if we do this arrangement, like that's going to be more robust for the future, but it's going to add like development costs, um, you know, X, Y, and Z, that kind of stuff. They tend to be like a little bit more comfortable articulating that um, to clients. Yeah. I, I'm curious about the the client facing piece. Are you mostly screening for that and like the behavioral interview just to make sure that like someone is able to effectively communicate and, and that you feel comfortable communicating with, or do you have like a specific exercise or anything you do with folks to make sure that, that they would be good in some type of role where they're speaking with clients on a regular basis? I think we get, um, yeah, I do think we get most of that out of the, the behavioral interview. There's, you know, we might ask like specific questions about, um, you know, uh, and it tell us about an example of a time that you had to, you had conflict with someone or, you know, you had to, um, convince someone that, that your approach was the the right one to go down um, to, to sort of get at that. But a lot of it is just in, in how the conversation itself goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the, you know, in the technical portion, there is, uh, you know, a little bit of, of communication skills that we're, we're testing just in terms of like their ability to, um, you know, talk, you know, sort of speak their thought process out loud and, and, and work together um, with the, um, the interviewers and, you know, th- there have been candidates that sort of sit there and, and code for, for 20 minutes. And like, it should, that's not necessarily a disqualifier, but it doesn't, um, it's not a strong signal for like their ability to, um, you know, really be open and uh, client facing. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I, I do some mock interviews and I'm always telling people, even if you're, you need some time to think, just tell people up front, Hey, I need a couple of minutes to think. Right. Uh, and, and then before I decide what I'm going to do next, and even that lets me know, okay, great. You're thinking rather than are you thinking, are you stuck? Are you just silently staring? Like, I don't, I don't really know. So even something that small, I think helps a lot with that, that process. Uh, could one of you walk me through the actual steps of the process? I'm assuming it's some type of resume screen or phone call first, and then maybe a conversation with a manager. Could you talk through the actual steps? Yeah, sure. Um, I think say like our typical process, and this is speaking for the um, more so the engineering department would be having a um, a resume screen and then a uh, you know 15 to 30 minute call with a who who are sort of playing the role of hiring manager. Um, and then, you know, pending their decision, if, if the, the candidate moves on, um, it go into like our quote unquote final round. Um, and that consists of a, um, usually like a one hour technical interview and then a 30 to 45 minute behavioral interview. Great. And then some decisions made after that, um, if, if offer or not for candidates. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, you know, we try and keep it pretty condensed um, because, like, frankly, that's an advantage that we have over larger companies. Like, we can make decisions really quickly, um, and we can also, you know, see candidates um, really quickly to to try and get that decision out the door. Um, and uh, yeah, it's worked pretty well so far. Yeah, uh, you know, coming from a recruiting background, speed is or momentum, the probably better word than speed is often the, the, 
can be the killer or the success of, of any like interview process, right? Uh, when someone's really excited, they just got done with their final and then they hear nothing for seven days. Ooh, that's tough. You know, they already forgot, right? Unless they really, really love the company. But if you can give them an answer within 48 hours or 72 hours, and it's like, oh, okay, this is still top of mind, right? I'm still excited about meeting Connor and Britton the other day on this call, right? It can be huge. Uh, so I know you both primarily have kind of worked at Launchpad, but in the past when you've been in, uh, you've been the interviewee, right? Um, interviewing for some type of role. How do you feel you've done in technicals? You feel like you smashed them, you did really poorly, somewhere in between, depends on the the role. If either of you can shed some light on that. I am not a great interviewee. <laughs> um, I definitely don't do well like under, under pressure. Um, and uh, so actually when I interviewed with Launchpad, the uh, technical evaluation was a... Um, like a take-home challenge, which is de- definitely suits my sort of personality a lot better. Um, but yeah, you, like whiteboarding challenges, I usually just forget everything I've ever learned and, you know, even including my name. Yeah, I'm not all that dissimilar, I feel like. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's tricky. You know, there's the balance of, you know, trying to respect, um, you know, individuals' times and in our process and, you know, other companies that might be interviewing with a take-home challenge can be, you know, a burden, even in spite of like efforts to simplify. Um, it's, you know, we, we can't control how much time someone takes and, you know, they're trying to show their best work. Uh, but I would say for me personally, like, you know, I'm thinking kind of under pressure, you know, while someone's watching, even if it's like, Hey, I need five minutes to think like it's still tough. Um, you know, I would say like um, one of the things like we've, tried to do is you know have different like formats of the technical challenge like if someone um expressed interest in a take-home option like we could facilitate that it's not sort of the default um Mm -hmm. that we go with but um yeah i think it's uh you know if someone um is you know looking um at interviewing options i i feel like it's a fair question to ask of the company like are there different arrangements um that you know, you could accommodate, they might say no, uh, but it's probably worth asking at least. Uh, I think another thing, you know, you know, between a take home challenge and a live exercise is maybe bringing in some sample code you've written and talking through it. Mm-hmm. I did that for one of my um, uh, technical interviews um, kind of back in the day. And that felt like a nice hybrid of like, I had to think on my feet a little bit, but at least it was something that I kind of knew. Um, and could kind of speak through um so that's you know that's a format we've done um at launchpad uh at times but that's also can be tricky too because sometimes people's quote-unquote best work is sort of proprietary at their company and they like can't show it for like sort of ip reasons so sometimes it's not uh that option like doesn't you know always uh work but for me personally it felt like kind of a nice like hybrid of got to think on your feet a little bit because people could ask you questions um, on like how to make this code better, but you have a little bit of something like, yeah, I kind of know this um, uh, code outside of just like a very narrow, like hour long challenge per se. Yeah. Project like bringing in a project can be tough sometimes. I think it's great if people have those, right? Like I like the idea of having options. Um, I was talking to to someone yesterday and they're like, have you done any, worked on any projects recently? And I was like, well, I host a podcast, 
but like I can't really show you. It's not a code base, right? <laughs> I got forty episodes with some technical challenges, but I can't really walk you through a a, a CRUD app that I built, right? Like it's it's very different than that, but it's still technical in nature. Um, but I do love the idea. Like I think in an ideal world, a recruiting process you have a in person option for people who love that, a take home option for people who like I need time and I just want to work on this alone, and maybe you know here's a project because I'm a person who really loves building projects and talking about my code. But it's just I think so hard to figure out. Okay, can we even facilitate that and also be able to evaluate all of those people at the same same grade, right? Like if yeah. if we have these three different things, are we giving them all equal grades? Yeah, it's like an equity um, you know, issue. Totally. Know, in the sense of two candidates for the same role, they, yeah, had different challenges. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's, I think, yeah, yeah, again, it's sort of a kind of up to the discretion of the company because I think they have to, you know, enforce that, you know, equity and consistency. Mm -hmm. So someone isn't inadvertently getting kind of like preferential treatment or something like that where yeah. – one candidate decided to ask for the take homes. So they did that. The other candidate didn't, even though they would have done better if they had, you know, and that's not like totally fair. So yeah, I think we like kind of have those at our disposal, um, those options. Um, and maybe for certain like hiring um, roles, we like maybe just like lean into like the default is going to be a code walkthrough or, you know, you kind of like say for all these candidates, uh, but yeah, I think we're pretty cautious within a like um, hiring role to be too diverse in like the amount of like technical challenges we'll do, given kind of like you said, it's it's pretty hard to evaluate consistently and like equitably um, across different uh, different candidates. Yeah, it's hard if you only have one, <laughs> let alone multiple different options, right? Now, do y'all have any advice for for folks who are prepping for for interviews? Maybe um, they got a job search coming up, but they're thinking, okay, in January, maybe everything will go back to normal a little bit, and I'm ready to start a new job. Any advice for folks who are prepping right now? I mean, I think you um, hit the nail on the head earlier, um, talking specifically about sort of like live in person challenges or, or whiteboarding, in that you even if you you need to think like ask for that time to think or, or tell them like, I'm going to take a minute to just get a lay of the land here and then we'll dive into it. And to, you know, really sort of practice um, thinking out loud because it it's awkward at first and feels a little weird. Like it's, it's not something that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so, so that's one thing. And then it, like, per, like related to that, but in a different format would be for take-home challenges. Um, like, spend a good amount of time on the readme, you know, document your thoughts. If you, um, even if you don't get to a requirement or, you know, if, if it's a time challenge, you run out of time, like in your readme, talk about what you would have done or in your readme, talk about other features you'd like to add or a potential roadmap in the future. Um, those, uh, you know, someone submitting a, a readme and their take home challenge and like a well-documented readme, um, maybe it's because we're a consultancy, um, but it like really stands out to me. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I think it's hard. Yeah, like in the technical interviews, like I think if something isn't said, kind of the default assumption is like it wasn't said because someone didn't realize it or they like don't know it, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like I think you, you know, you can give the benefit of the doubt, so to speak, but in the absence of something being explicitly articulated, I think more often than not, you kind of have to assume that like 
someone doesn't understand that um, or didn't recognize that. So if someone can be a little bit more like verbose in their communication, either in a readme or their thought process is like, I'm thinking through these three options. This one feels kind of wrong. This one feels, you know, uh, just right. Uh, it kind of, I think, um, sort of exposes to the interviewer more of the depth of someone's like thought process understanding because they can't show all, they can't like maybe like do all three options and say, here's how I would have done all three. There's just not enough time. If they can at least cite what they could have done or they had more time, um, again, either in a readme or just um, talking through it, I think that uh, like showcases a, a, like a greater offering of the candidate or like gives a better um, representation of like everything they could bring to the table as opposed to like, well, literally like, I can only type so fast or I can only like, you know, have so much time to take home. So like, I can't uh, code everything up. Um, so I think that's another, another thing to kind of build upon what Connor was saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. I, I recently have seen even in, um, even in like these like time technicals, like a hacker rank or some type of like exercise, uh, that, that someone will give people adding comments in there or like, Hey, I had a brute force solution, but no, I've only got three minutes left. This is how I would refactor this. Right. And basically just almost pseudo coding out that approach. Right. And say, I, I wasn't able to implement that, but that's what I would do if I had more time and I, I could probably work through this and seeing some success with that. And that's really interesting to me of like, at least like you've said, you've described the approach, which in theory, if we're, we're engineers and we can describe an approach, we could probably figure out how to work to that approach given enough time, right? Or given enough resources. So even just calling it out, it might seem silly to be like, well, I just, all I did was write inline comments saying, this is what I would do if I had more time. But just that as an interviewer or someone evaluating that, I go, okay, great. Well, I know you got at least this Bruce for, brute force thing, right? That you could get through something. And then you've described a, an approach that you could implement. Okay. Well, I'm not going to give you full credit for actually implementing that, but at least half, right? Like partial yeah. credit for this. Like you're thinking through this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it goes back to like, I think irrespective of a consulting or product company, uh, like I would say it's pretty rare for developers to like kind of have like a timed coding experience in the sense of yeah. like in your day-to-day -day job, like you're usually not like staring at a clock. Like you have 30 minutes to implement this feature. I would say there's a velocity aspect to agile and like output but usually there's you know people get in flow and you know they come out of flow and there's just those ebbs um in terms of productivity but then in this like interview in a technical challenge it's like you better be like on point for this one hour and kind of nail it like it's just it is a very artificial experience it's just sort of a necessary evil in terms of scheduling and and that sort of stuff so yeah anything they can kind of do to like break that barrier by like giving that pseudocode, I think helps almost like bring it back to reality where like, yeah, like in reality, they would probably have to talk out this feature with a teammate. Um, it's probably how it actually work as opposed to um, developers working in isolation, just kind of know all the answers off the top of their head within a very short time window. Like it's probably not the most realistic, uh, like coding day-to-day um, -day experience. Yeah. Do you have any uh, additional advice or different advice for early career folks? Maybe this is their first job search out of a boot camp or, or their second job search. I mean, I know we mentioned this earlier about like the, the code sample thing. I would say that, you know, for um, folks coming out of a boot camp, like not necessarily having a portfolio, but like 
trying to build lots of different stuff or like hack on stuff, I think just gets kind of the juices flowing and uh, puts someone in the right headspace. Potentially those could even be used as like, um, you know, a resume submission, so to speak, beyond just um, kind of like dropping a PDF. Uh, because ultimately the resume itself, right, just from a pure like reading the, the stats will not probably show much experience on paper. Yeah. Um, and for some companies that could be like, a, that could be an easy way to screen early um, or developers uh, early in their career out. So the way I think you can kind of control that or influence that as, as someone like coming out of bootcamp or just being early in their career is like trying to build up your portfolio. And it doesn't mean like you have to have all these live professional sites, but just like things you've worked on um, because like that's yours, like no one can take that away. And maybe it helps um, complement a like resume that doesn't have like listed years of experience in a developer role. Cause that's just, mm. I mean, all of us were at some point in our career, like we didn't have any experience, right? Cause um, eventually you, you know, you have always that first job. So I think trying to sort of build that out or make that like easily accessible, maybe even included in like a, a resume drop, um, I think is probably a good thing whether or not the company looks at it, you know, can't really control that, but at least you kind of like, that's the thing a, a candidate could control and influence. And I'd imagine for maybe like the, hopefully the right company uh, that would be a good fit for that person. Like they would like look at that, like GitHub uh, profile and be like encouraged by that. Like, Oh, there's a lot of activity here. I see they're like trying out new technologies or uh, I can see them kind of iterating on this, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I when I was um, first coming out of a boot camp, I had a project that I felt like looked nice, at least. Um, so I, whenever I could, if I was on a call like this with a manager, I'd be like, oh, let me show you my project. And I would like screen share and like pull the thing up. Or if I was on a phone call, I'd be like, here's the URL, like type this in, please, like at least go look at it. Um, because I felt like it at least made an impression from like, it's easier to read something on a resume. And go, okay, I understand the project. But if you actually see something, then you're putting like a visual to that. And you go, okay, well, I, uh, maybe you mess around with it a little bit. Could be good if it's good maybe not good if it's not a great project but at least you've like shown your ability to do something and i was encouraged people to like get stuff live and easily accessible so you can send someone a link and say click on this right and like see what i've actually done instead of just even github is is nice you can see the lines of code but it's sometimes it's not easy to like conceptualize what is this actually doing right yeah. i feel like that's helpful to connect with people yeah and i think a lot of times um you know connor myself came out of boot camps like there was that like demo day there was that capstone project yeah. where, um, you know, hopefully, you know, you kind of have that portfolio almost by default in a way, or at least like one piece in your portfolio um, versus like, oh, I have to like think of that, like think of all this stuff to build. Like usually within like these um, bootcamp uh, programs, like there's usually something you're kind of building throughout um, or you like do like a hack weekend or something like that. And like, you know, those are your portfolio pieces to start with. Uh, so maybe for, for folks that are in a boot camp and maybe, I don't know, the, the hack sessions are more optional or, you know, they're kind of presented that way. Like I would, uh, you know, I'd encourage folks to like take advantage of those because those could quickly become your portfolio pieces that will become um, helpful to like showcase in an interview or just make you more comfortable talking through a technical challenge, if that makes sense, because you just have more reps. Uh, so yeah, any Anytime there's a chance to like produce some app, um, you know, in your bootcamp, I would say like seize that opportunity. Cause like, then that's kind of yours to take with you in the future. 
um, to use as, um, you know, rounding out your resume for interviews. Great. Uh, well, any, before we take a break here and move to the technical portion, any interviewing horror stories that, that y'all are willing to share where you can say, oh, well, you know, if Connor or Brendan went through this and they're successful in their career, you know, maybe I can do it too. <laughs> it's not so bad. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's one interview that I, I remember where it started out as a, you know, I think it was a 20 minute phone call or something like that. It started out as just a behavioral, like get to know you phone call. And then um, sort of unbeknownst to me, it, uh, I was asked a question that um, it was sort of like an algorithm. It had an algorithm answer, but it was phrased. Um, it's something about like dropping eggs from a building and, and how, how would you tell when the egg would, um, would break or what, what floor the egg would break on. Um, and I, oh, I bombed the question so badly. Like I didn't, I didn't understand what they were looking for. Like after I gave the answer, the uh, interviewer was like, are you sure that's your answer? And at that point it's just like, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that like the reality is you're going to bomb interviews. Some interviews are, are not going to go well and like just brush it off and, uh, and move forward. And, um, you know, ideally like at Launchpad, we, we try and like very clearly communicate like what to expect from each interview so that at the, at the very least, like there's not this, like, here's a surprise, uh, technical problem that you need to solve for us, um, to, and, and some of that is, is definitely influenced, um, by my own experience, um, uh, particularly related to that interview. Um, but even then, uh, you know, it might just not be your day, you know, something else is going on in your life that, that distracts you or, um, you know, you're not comfortable, super comfortable, um, working with English as a second language, um, it, with so much pressure on you and, and you, um, you don't do well. And, that's totally okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think especially the launch, like for us, it's, it's very rare, uh, if ever that we have a candidate that it's, that we sort of assign like a never to, like, it's just, it's usually just like a not now. Um, and so even, uh, if, if someone, you know, shows up and, and doesn't have the, their best day, that doesn't preclude them from, you know, applying a few months on the line and for us reconsidering them. That's great. Yeah, I, I feel like the industry's moved a little bit away from like the technical riddle style questions. I haven't seen those as much anymore, but the old like how many piano tuners are there in Chicago or New York, right? Like how many golf balls can fit on a plane? Like those types of, I feel like that was very common um, years ago. And eh, I'm sure it's still out there, right? Not the most fun questions to get asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have like horror stories per se, but I think it's it's kind of a, you can kind of feel this, I think, after being in a number of interviews is like the candidate is kind of trying to figure something out and they're getting in their head about it. And they're like, should I ask for help? But maybe I'll figure this out. And they just you can kind of see them like kind of maybe getting overwhelmed by the moment. And I think the Connor's point, just kind of recognizing that, like, maybe you're really excited to try to work at this company, but like there are other companies out there. Maybe there's a chance to try again in the future. Like, don't feel like it's like all or nothing in this moment. Um, and with that mindset, I feel like, you know, the thing I would kind of advise people is like, again, just try to articulate like where your head's at. It could be like the, I don't know, the golf ball uh, one or uh, piano tuner. It could just be like, okay, like the thing that I'm like really thinking through and kind of struggling with right now is X, Y, and Z. Um, and just like keep talking because I think at least 
for like launch pads interview style, I think we would prefer to like kind of nudge a candidate back on course to just keep them going versus like just letting them kind of, for lack of a better word, like drown, just like, mm-hmm. well, save yourself kind of thing. Because I think, again, we know it's sort of a timed interview. It's kind of a strange construct in general. So if we can just kind of nudge someone back on track and just allow them to kind of continue in their flow, like I'd rather see that than just like kind of let them get stuck. But if they're not really articulating their thoughts, I think there's a hesitancy on the interviewer's part because then it feels like we're kind of giving them the answer Mm. and they're not kind of meeting us closer. So um, again, maybe that's more of just like launch pad style and other, you know, interview styles are a little bit more guarded and they're like, you know, prove to me that, you know, you can solve this on your own. I'm not going to help you. Um, Just kind of using those like mind games, but um, maybe that's a signal that the company isn't the one you want to work for. I don't know. Um, but again, I think if someone is articulating kind of where they're getting stuck or, um, it can be easier for the interviewer if they have the mindset of like hoping them to say, have you considered blank in a very indirect way, but it's just enough of a suggestion to get someone back on track, um, versus like the answer is, or you need to do blank. So I think that's probably a little bit too much of like leading the witness um, and kind of maybe like breaks down kind of the equity thing. Cause now you're sort of, you know, really um, pushing a candidate as opposed to kind of just those like little, little course corrections, little nudges that um, help someone kind of reestablish confidence and kind of get them back into like what they know. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And I think that's super helpful. Good. Good thing to keep in mind when you're on a downward spiral in an interview, right? It's like you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this kind of, or this is what I'm, I can't figure out, right? What do you think? Uh, or literally just asking your interviewer a question. Um, sometimes it feels like oh, I'm cheating, but like if it, if it was like most interviewers given watching you flounder in silence for 20 minutes or, you know, you saying, I don't know how to do this um, and asking a question, I probably prefer like you asking the question because then your bolt is not sitting there wondering what's going on. <laughs> uh, great. Well, then let's take a break here. Then we come back. We'll move into the technical portion. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.